Hello, and welcome to Fighting Over the VCR, the podcast where my sister and I talk about movies that we grew up watching. I'm Matthew. I'm Nancy. And um, I just want to start off by saying thank you to all of our listeners um, who uh, have stuck with us. We've been kind of on a hiatus. I was sick off and on for like a month. Um, I, at one point, it was very hard for me to talk without coughing, and it was you know, really hard, but I got to watch a bunch of movies and uh, prepare for this podcast. And uh, Nancy, she uh, went on a couple vacations and did some, did some traveling, and uh, you know, we, both, we both have lives and you know, work and you know, things that do get in the way of us doing this fun project our podcast. But uh, I just want to thank all of our listeners out there. Hopefully you might be at work or in the middle of doing some uh, hobby or something and just uh, listening to us talk. So thank you very much. Yes. Thank you so much. (laughs) So uh, I'm here with podcat here, Mulder. He's on my lap, keeping me probably a little warmer than I'd like to be. I think he's missed doing the podcast too. Very much so. He saw the mic and got really excited. This week we're going to talk about two kind of lighthearted movies, well, somewhat lighthearted. Nancy is going to uh talk with us about the movie When Harry Met Sally, probably one of the original rom-coms of yeah. of especially our generation. And spoiler alert, my favorite. That's right. And I'm going to be talking about probably one of my favorite sports movies, The Natural. So I'm going to get it kicked off here. And um, podcast's ready. Nancy's ready. We're all feeling better. Everybody's ready. Let's do this. So The Natural, a movie that came out in 1984, is about baseball. And it's about some of the best things about baseball, some of the bad things about baseball. But it is generally just about the passion that this one player has for baseball and he's had it since he was a little kid and you know through tons of terrible trials and tribulations he wants to get to the majors and play the sport the movie starts off with him as a little kid playing with his dad there's a lot of fairy tale kind of elements to this movie that really kind of try and make it a give it a happy light kind of vibe it's not so it's not super heavy starts out with him playing ball with his dad and they're you know they're having a catch the main character's name uh, the little boy's name is Roy Hobbs his dad just you know sees this talent in him and really you know tries to motivate him to to kind of really grasp this talent that he has and he says hey you're a natural roy and hence the name the natural you know they play catch and he's teaching him how to pitch and everything and um suddenly um his father has a heart attack and dies when he's a when he's a kid he dies next to this tree and then the night he dies the tree is struck by lightning And then the boy decides to make a bat out of the 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 tree, and he he engraves and in he burns into the side of the bat the the name Wonder Boy with a lightning bolt on it, and this kind of ends up being kind of a theme that kind of plays into his eventual career. Then it shoots ahead some time, and he's probably about eighteen years old. And he gets um, the opportunity to go and try out for the Chicago team. That means leaving his home behind. He's never left home. He's never been on a train. He's never gone anywhere. And uh, he's got to say goodbye to his girlfriend. And um, he says goodbye. And then he gets on a train and he goes on this, uh, this journey to become a major leaguer. And we might want to point out, what era is this? Well... That's one of the um, kind of things that's really kind of hard to grasp at the beginning of the movie. It's not until later that you actually see dates put on this. But this movie takes place, um, the beginning of the movie takes place in the early 1900s. Okay. So probably like the 1910s, early 1920s. And then due to circumstances that I'll tell, tell you about in a second, 
it time jumps to 1939. Again, I don't want to tell you the whole movie, but he goes on this journey to get to get picked up by by a team, and he they have a stop on the train, and there is a another ball player on the train who is modeled after probably Babe Ruth, mm-hmm. called the Whammer, and they decide to have a little contest, and. When they're having this contest, he strikes out the whammer, and this is ends up being this amazing thing that no one can believe that he did this on three pitches. And traveling with them is this woman who wears all black, and she's very mysterious, and she's always asking Roy about how you know the the dreams of success he wants. And then they get to Chicago, and right before he's going to have his tryout, she invites him to her hotel room, says, "Hey." Roy, so you're going to be the best there ever was? And he goes, sure, I, I sure am. And then she shoots him. Yep. And that derails his career. And after she shoots him, it says, you know, I think 16 years later, mm-hmm. and he's finally gotten signed by a, by a team called the New York Knights. Now, a lot of the teams that are used within the movie are fictional. So uh, with the exception of a couple, I think there's the Reds and the Cubs. But I want to say the Phillies were mentioned, too. I believe the Phillies. But uh, instead of having a... I think there's a newspaper headline, too, that lists the Dodgers. Mm. Um, but the New York Knights are probably either a combination of or a spinoff of the Yankees or the Giants of the time. At this point, he's, like, old. You know, 16 years have gone by. He's practically the age where these guys retire. But here he is walking on the field with this team. In the middle of the season, he gets signed a contract... And how the, well was that team doing when the team was terrible? Him? Yeah, the team was terrible. He is, you know, wants wants to play. This is this is first shot at the big leagues that he's ever had. But the coach doesn't want to play him because he thinks it's all a joke. He just doesn't. No one really believes in him. He uh, says, you know what? Fine, you can put it on a uniform, but I'm not going to play you. And he shows up and, you know, but this is his chance. So he shows up every day. The, the coach won't let him even do batting practice. You know, the team is terrible, and they have these lectures um, after they lose where they have a, a psychiatrist come in and try and tell them about losing where there's this really popular line that – this line that stands out to me where the the um, psychiatrist keeps saying, losing is a disease. <laughs> it's contagious as polio. <laughs> and, and every time he gives a speech, it's a different disease that it's yeah. like. It's contagious as the measles or, yeah. and just goes on and on. Well, Roy, is he's, he's had it up to here, and he walks out on one of those sessions. And the coach is like, you know, what are you doing? You're supposed to be part of this team. You sit down. He's like, you know, I didn't, I'm not here to get lectured. You know, I'm here to play ball. The coach is like, fine. You come to batting practice tomorrow. We'll see what you, what you can do. And he's like, I've been to batting practice every day. Yep. I, you know, he's doing his job. Well, he goes to batting practice and he does nothing but hit home runs. <laughs> <laughs> which, Left field, which if, right field, doesn't matter. <laughs> which if you're not familiar with baseball, I mean, watching someone hit home runs is the best thing ever. It's very, very exciting. It's a lot of fun. That's all. He, he, he's constantly hitting home runs and he's using the special bat that he made from the tree. You know, they're questioning the bat, whether it's even a legal bat. At this time, you know, he's just trying to show them what he can do and how great he of a player he is. And eventually he gets the opportunity after, you know, during that game where the right fielder, which is the position he plays, the, the, the starting right fielder, drops a ball. And the coach doesn't want to have anything to do with that guy. He thinks he's a prima donna. He's like, you know what? I'm benching you. Roy, get up. It's a very dramatic scene where it starts raining, and as soon as the pitcher throws the ball, Roy hits it, and he knocks the cover off the ball and <laughs> obliterates the ball, and there's string everywhere, and um, he doesn't get a home run. He ends up getting a triple out of it, but they don't even know how to throw the ball. It's pouring rain, and they end up winning the game, and they call it. And this kind of starts this now kind of journey that he's going on where he's just this amazing player. He can yeah. hit whatever he wants and do whatever he wants on the field. 
so while this is happening though there's a there's kind of a subcontext of the of the team that's going on where the coach is a co-owner of the team with this character called the judge he's a real he's a judge who owns part of the team and he's got a ton of money but he wants the coach out he's like mr potter from yeah. it's a wonderful life yeah it just is that evil there's a bet that there's there's terms that if the team ends up in last place the judge takes over the team and the coach is out so the judge is rigging this whole thing and the right fielder the starting right fielder that um Roy Hobbs replaced is getting paid to throw games yep. and it gets kind of more shady you know at this point where you've got this woman who is actually the coach's niece um, trying to hook up with the guys to, tr- you yeah. know, to, with first with um, the right fielder who is um, Michael Madsen, Michael Madsen. His name is Bump Bailey. He gets told by the coach at one point, you know, I'm going to bench you if you don't have a good game today. And he ends up having a really good game. And then he goes in to run for a fly ball and he crashes through a wall and dies. Yep. <laughs> And so, you know, not really kid-friendly there, but, you know, this is life. And um, that's Roy's opportunity now to play. Long story short, as baseball and sports movies go, Roy the the natural comes in and the team starts winning. And they're winning a lot. And because of this, the judge now takes his, uh, you know, don't know what to call her, but she's basically you know, a tool for him to use to try and make, you know, ruin these players. The seductress. The seductress. <laughs> the succubus. <Yeah. laughs> and, um, you know, tr- ask her, him, her to sink her claws into Roy, and all of a sudden they start losing because he's distracted. distracted as ball players get, I guess. There's a moment during this time where he's, you know, slumping where they're playing in Chicago and, all of a sudden, um, it just so happens that the girlfriend that he left behind at home when he was a teenager lives in Chicago, and she goes to the game. She stands up right when he's about to come to to bat, and he sees her, but he doesn't know it's her, and he hits a home run. It's like this kind of essence of this person comes in, and it turns him around, and he goes to meet her, and... He rekindles this relationship with her. Now, I haven't really given away who plays these people because this is a critical point. Now that we've got these two characters, Roy Hobbs is played by Robert Redford, who's an amazing actor. Um, he's been doing this a long time. But he this movie was filmed when he was in his 40s. <laughs> so, And the, the girlfriend, Iris... Was played, by, is play, was played by Glenn Close, who was also older at this point. So when we see Roy, when he's a teenager, <laughs> he does not look like a teenager yeah. at all. Yeah. And I think that, you know, they probably could have had a younger actor play him or done something. Like, these days, they would have, like, digitally, like, changed his face to mm-hmm. look younger, like they... Done like they do in, in like, like the Avengers. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or uh, the X-Men movies where they made mm-hmm. uh, Professor Xavier younger. Yeah. Um, but no. And so when I watched this as a kid, this totally tripped me out. I was just like, oh, he's the same age the whole time, right? Yeah. No. It wasn't until as I got older I figured out, oh, no, he's actually, you know, a teenager when he leaves and – 16 years later, I mean, if it was 16 years later when he was 44, he'd be just a 60-plus-year-old man playing baseball. (laughs) But um, That's part of the suspending belief, though, because I really can't picture anyone other than Robert Redford playing this role. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure at some point they'll remake this movie because they they love doing that. That was something that growing up totally tripped me out. It, it, It really tripped me out. So we've got, you know, Roy kind of turning things around and when when he sees Iris in the crowd, 
the cinematographers purposely lit her as though there's this like white halo all around her. Yeah, they told her to wear a, a white kind of almost see-through hat so yeah. the light could go through it. So she had like a, a halo around her, yeah. like she's some angel coming in. Mm-hmm. And there's there's definitely, a, like, like a lot of fairy tales, there's certain kind of undertones of from like other kinds of, you know, mythological kind of things. I mean... And uh, the idea of, like, some angel coming down mm-hmm. and, like, granting him, you know, some sort of peace to to deal with his, you know, his um, distractions and, yeah. and come back as a player, you know, the player that he was. So then they go back on a hot streak, the team, and then the the succubus kind of gets, you know, starts getting nervous that, you know, his old flame from, from when he was a kid is going to keep things going good for him. She has a party, invites the whole team over. They've just clinched a playoff spot and she poisons him and he gets sick. I didn't realize that she poisoned him. She poisoned him. Oh my God. So, So she poisons him. He gets sick, gets sent to the hospital. They pump his stomach and they pull out the silver bullet that the woman used to shoot him at, you know, when he was a kid. And Apparently, the silver from this thing has been tearing up his stomach all these years, and the doctors told him he can't play. Yeah. So... Well, they hadn't clinched anything yet. That was the no, thing. Well, no, they, they, they clinched... At that time, it was just like one like a playoff game, and... They needed to win three more, and while he was in the hospital, they lost all three of those. Yeah. You know, he's in the hospital trying to debate, you know, you know, he's trying to get back as best he can, but the doctors are telling him no. Well, then the judge steps in and says, you know what? I'm going to make you a deal. Here's $20,000. Just ne- just don't show up. <laughs> and if you do show up, never hit the ball. <laughs> just strike out every time. And the judge leaves, and he leaves the money with Roy, and... Roy is pretty much like, I'm not dealing with this guy. This guy's a piece of crap. Well, and he also threatens to expose that he'd been shot when he was 18 or 19. Yeah. And that the woman who shot him, after she had also killed the best football player and then the best yeah, Olympian. She was on a streak. She, she was, was a, a serial, serial killer. killer. She was a serial killer. Um, she jumped out of a window right after she shot Roy. So yeah. he threatened to expose all that. And through the whole movie... He's being very, very mysterious about his past. And in addition to the judge and um, Darren McGavin, who's like this head bookie guy, um, there's this very intrepid reporter um, played by Robert Duvall who had seen he was the umpire in the contest where Roy struck out the whammer. He's, you know, he had written a little story about him and then kind of locked it away. And then once he saw Roy reappear... You know, just he couldn't shake. I know, I know you. I know I've seen you. Who yeah. are you? Where have you been? So he's investigating it. And then when he finally puts together who he is, then he's like another thorn in the side of well, Roy and Hobbs. He's, and he's and he is on the payroll of the judge. Yeah. Not necessarily in a sense that he's going to get kickbacks for ruining Roy's career, but you know, the judge will be like, "Hey, I, I got a great story for you. I, I'm going to give you some money and dig up some dirt on this guy, and yeah. you do what you want with it." You know, so Roy, he's got this kind of struggle. What am I going to do? And he decides to go see the judge, throw the money in his face, and go and play his game. And he's not having a great game. He can't, you know, he he's striking out. He can't really swing a bat because his guts are all busted. His guts are all busted up. He's actually starts kind of bleeding. Yeah. You know, his scar from being shot starts bleeding, and he's got blood on the side of his on the side of his jersey and so of course the catcher is calling throwing inside inside. throwing inside near his gut well the team's losing there's you know about to get up and then iris the old flame is there and she has a son she she goes down to the dugout and give roy a note and uh right before he's about to take his last at bat he he opens up the note and Ta-da. Turns out that the son is actually his. They hooked up the night before he left and yep. rolled around in the barn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, they had a, yeah, a roll in the hay. Yeah. <laughs> it's his son. So that ha- he starts having that same moment like he did in Chicago when she stood up. Mm-hmm. You know, he starts thinking, gets 
back on track. And because uh, he knows this is going to be his last at bat. This is it. You know, he's there's no way he should physically be playing the sport anymore. So he grabs Wonder Boy and walks up to the plate, and you know he gets the strike, and then he fouls the ball off. He they think it's a home, they, it's going down the line. They think it's going to be a home run, and it's a foul. And he walks over, and Wonder Boy is split in half. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what is going on? So he goes to grab another bat, and he goes to the Bat Boy, and the, he made friends with the Bat Boy mm-hmm. early on in the movie. The Bat Boy really admired Wonder Boy. The Batty made, and he says, "Well, you know what? If you if you get if you go to the lumber yard and and pick out a good piece of wood, I'll help you make your own bat." So you know, Wonder Boy's split in half. He's walking over to the Bat Boy. He's like, "Pick me out a winner, Bobby." And the the Bat Boy gives him the bat that the two of them made together. So he takes the bat and he goes and was it the Savoy special? The Savoy special. His name was like Bobby Savoy. Long story short. It's not called a natural because it's, you know, going to be a sad, terrible ending. It ends up being a happy ending. He hits a home run. They win. And as he hits it, he hits the ball into the lights of the stadium. So all the lights explode. Mm-hmm. And it's like fireworks everywhere. And, you know, as the lights are kind of petering out and it gets dark and then it, the screen kind of lights up and you're on a, it's focusing on a ball spinning in the air and it's a bright sunny day and it lands in the glove of his son and they're back on the farm where he grew up and then the movie ends. Yeah. The the lights weren't the only thing that Roy's power home runs broke. Yeah, I well, mean, when, well in Chicago when he when she first appeared when Iris first appeared in the stands, he hits the home run that shatters the clock. Mhm. You know, so and like when, every time he does something like really dramatic like this there's this really dramatic music that has been used a million times probably within baseball documentaries gives me goosebumps this movie was probably the first baseball movie that i ever watched Mm -hmm. and um one of the reasons why it means so much to uh, Nancy and me is because this was also one of our dad's favorite baseball movies. Yeah, he loves it. And growing up, I always kind of like connected dad to this movie, not just for his like of it, but like the way he combed his hair reminded me a oh, lot yeah. of Robert Redford. Yeah, he's got similarities to Robert Redford. Very similar. And even the demeanor he has mm-hmm. in the movie where he's kind of quiet mm-hmm. and, you know, not. You know, really straight to the point. Mm-hmm. And mm. what did you want to say? Did you want to say something? Oh, so now he gets shy. Excellent point. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I've always kind of had this um, connection to this movie. It was like one of the first baseball movies I ever watched. I love baseball. So mm-hmm. being able to kind of see something at the t- in that time of when baseball was being played where yeah. like they were using the old mitts that weren't sewn together or it was like individual fingers and just the old baggy uniforms and not wearing a, a helmet yeah. and all that kind of stuff. It really kind of has this really good tone. Yeah. That is fun. And who, I mean, and it's a fairy tale. I mean, it's got this, it's got these supernatural elements of, you know, the, the, the special super bat yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, this guy who has what seem like inhuman powers because mm-hmm. of how he can play baseball. Yeah. And it ends up, you know, so it has this great vibe. But it wasn't until much later, like I'm talking a few years ago. I mean, we saw this movie as kids. Yeah. But I had never really caught on that this movie was based on a book. Mm. And... I was talking about this movie with a coworker, another coworker who a coworker who also loves baseball. So he and I talk baseball all the time. Mm-hmm. And um you know, I happen, you know, and I got when I was working with him, it was when the Giants were winning World Series titles within the last, you know, 10 years and and um you know, he's a really big A's fan, so he's gotten to see his number of titles mm-hmm. throughout his life and everything like that. So we talk about baseball all the time. And um, we were talking about baseball movies and we were talking about The Natural. And he was telling me that in the book, he actually takes the deal from the judge. 
I hate that. <laughs> right? That's awful. <laughs> and I'm glad that Hollywood took some creative licensing and changed Ro- that story. I re- and when I reached it, Robert Redford was like, we need to make this a happy movie and not like yeah. this like terrible, like depressing kind of I mean, you know, baseball black, you know, this black sock scandal yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. And, um, and that really kind of bummed me out. And I've never seen this movie any the same ever again. I probably won't now either. That's... I know. Isn't that suck? <laughs> that totally well, sucks. I mean, I feel like this, this movie does a really good job of kind of showing the agony and the ecstasy of being a baseball fan. I mean, because yeah. you, you know, we're introduced to the New York Knights when they are just awful. And I think every baseball fan, especially if you've been a fan for several, several years, again, you know, Matt and I became fans when we were kids because our dad loved baseball so much. I think, you know, we both got into it so much because it was something he's always loved. And we've certainly seen our favorite team go through really great years, but also some really tough years. And this movie shows how easy it can base the baseball itself can be corrupted because when you think about the nine players on the field at a time, they are not running into each other and kind of working together in the same way that's like on a basketball team where you're right. so connected, like moment by moment. I mean, you can have a pitcher be very, very corrupt and just decide he's going to ruin a game. You can have a power hitter just decide I'm slumping now. Like well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of individual motivation that can happen within baseball. And I think historically baseball's probably dealt with, more corruption than maybe some other sports have. Well, I think that they're all, a lot of sports are all susceptible to corruption. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could ask Lance Armstrong if, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, something, you know, how he feels. But I mean, you know, like, like this movie, it, it really kind of touches on a lot of different themes that have happened throughout the whole history of baseball. I mean, I mentioned the Black Sox scandal. That was a scandal in um, the early 1900s where, um, eight players on the White Sox through the World Series for money, Ugh. and um, some of, like one of those players, Shoeless Joe Jackson, was considered one of the greatest pl- players ever. But he'll never go in the Hall of Fame. He's yeah. banned from it. They, I mean, you rarely hear about those guys yeah. because of what they did. Then you have Pete Rose, who you know some people think that the reasons why he's not in the Hall of Fame are ridiculous, but you his know, betting scandals, right? Yeah, he was betting. On his own team. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he'll never be in the Hall of Fame at this point. I think that touches... It, I mean, you you have this sport that is considered, you know, the national pastime and has all this history and, I mean, tons of history where, you know, back to the... 1850s, right? Or, or even before well, that? Well, the Red Sox... I mean, the I'm sorry, the Reds are celebrating... And all of baseball is celebrating a 150-year anniversary. Wow, okay. So um, this year, it's in 2019. So if you think about it, it's 1869. Thanks. I don't do math. <laughs> I watch movies. That's what I do. <laughs> and um, so, I mean, there's a lot of history there. Yeah. And, I mean, and as a baseball fan – like one of the key things that baseball fans really grasp onto are statistics because mm-hmm. that's what, you know, defines a lot of that history, you know, yeah. no, who, who gets a no hitter, how many home runs are hit in a season, you know, striking out guys in, in a single game, you know, lots of different stats. I mean, and it's even crazier now because people have invented new stats to, you know, really analyze the game and you have, you have, you know, jobs with, you know, people from MIT now working in baseball because of how they can analyze players and statistics. And it's totally changed the game, which is, you know, very different than like character, the the main character in this movie, who is just full of raw natural talent and and he would be an anomaly. So, well, this movie I think also shows something that's so fun to be a baseball fan is that, even if a team isn't doing great to begin a season, 
baseball is a really, really long season. It's a okay. hundred. Nowadays, it's 162 games. Wasn't it like 154 at one point? I think it was like 140 at another yeah. point. But as it's they a added, really, as they added teams, they yeah. had to add games. It's a really, really long season, and you can be halfway through a season and not be a winning team, and then somehow get an injection of just pure talent and turn everything around. And that's what this movie kind of encapsulates is you get this heroic player who can just liven up the, the whole team. I mean, I love the, I I love the story where the one player noticed the lightning bolt on his his bat. bat, And then he mentioned how his dad had a lightning bolt insignia on. He had a bunch of patches from, from world war one where Mm -hmm. it was like, you know, like a flying tigers kind mm-hmm. of thing where, and, uh, he had some of those patches. So he put one on his uniform and then all of a sudden he was hitting better. So and everyone in the whole everyone. team, everyone's had one. So, I mean, and, and, you know, baseball <laughs> is just notoriously superstitious and Very. It, I, I mean, again, I just feel like a lot of those kind of themes, whether they're subtle or really obvious have just kind of come through in this movie. And again, because the movie is so heartfelt, it just, I, I think it's, just one of the best it's i think it's my favorite baseball movie I'm, i was going to ask you so um there's a number of you know really good fun baseball movies there's and they they kind of run the gamut from drama to comedy and mm-hmm. everything like that i mean um of the like probably i'll just say five baseball movies that stand out in my mem- you know of, of really um big baseball movies that we grew up with you had the Natural, mm-hmm. Field of Dreams. Haven't seen it. That's a shame. It's not my favorite, but it has grown on me. Mm-hmm. It, I really kind of didn't like it at first, but it's really kind of grown on me. And and it, it's got uh, Ray Liotta. I want to watch it. It's got Ray Liotta. It, I mean, Kevin Costner is okay in it. Um, James Earl Jones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I will always wanted I mean, to watch it. Just haven't gotten it. around to it. Um, Bull Durham. Haven't seen it. <sighs> It's on my list. How are we related? Um, Bull Durham is amazing. Okay, skip to Major League. I've seen that one. I love Major, Major League. Le- Major League, yes. I feel one. Major League has the same theme of the natural where you've got this corrupt organization that wants to deliberately tank the team. Like, that is very similar. Major League is much more of a comedy than anything else. Yeah, I don't know if I can really... Um promote anything with Charlie Sheen at this point. Oh, well. <sighs> Sorry. Wild <Charlie>. thing. <laughs> um, Wesley Snipes, though. Yeah, he's great. Um, what was his name? Uh, Willie Mays Hayes. That yeah. was his name. Yeah. And With all of the gloves that he hung up for every base that he stole. And and the ridiculous thing is, is they, they made a sequel to that movie, and then they replaced him with another actor. Very crazy. Well, this goes to show just how terrible those movies are. Uh, but then the probably the the fun one that I love is the Bad News Bears. Oh, I I don't remember that one very well. Bad, I've the maybe original seen it once. The original Bad News Bears. Um, the original Bad News Bears with Walter Matthau, and that's one of the few. I mean, spoiler alert! You got. I mean, number one, go see that movie. And number it didn't two, come out in the seventies. Yeah, but who cares? <laughs> but I mean, spoilers <laughs> like it's been out for a long time. Okay, if we're gonna play, if we're gonna play that game. <laughs> People better be careful listening to this podcast. No, no, no. You don't need to reveal. Anyway, um, but they don't win. They come in second. <laughs> but um, that's a, that. I mean, is a really fun baseball movie. What, well, I've got more movies added to my list. Have you seen any of those movies other than The Natural and Major League? I've wanted to watch the others, but I just haven't gotten around to it. So okay, so you never okay. You have to go home. This weekend, or maybe during the All-Star break, when you're celebrating the fact that you get a break from baseball, and watch those three baseball <laughs> All right. movies. That's on my list. I, I mean, Bull Durham, amazing acting. You've got... Oh, Susan Sarandon. Susan Sarandon, Tim Robbins, yeah. and Kevin Costner's okay yep. in it. Um, and then Field of Dreams... It, like I said, it's it's and Field of Dreams is full of super you know supernatural stuff, and it's about a little bit more than baseball, and it's it with the same kind of vibe that we get from the beginning of the Natural. It has that like father son connection, mm-hmm. which I think is you know really important and with with, with all sports, but 
baseball has always kind of had that, like we learned about baseball from our mm-hmm. dad yeah, and how kind of like a passing on traditions. how you it's well, and it's been around for so long. I mean, the giants have a player on their team now with the, uh, who's Mike, Mike Yastrzemski, who is Carl Yastrzemski's grandson. And Carl Yastrzemski was a huge, famous baseball player. And, you know, now he's playing. I mean, there's that kind of history and, and connection with family that baseball has with, with, um, with its fans, with the players. It's just ingrained in it. So I can't believe you haven't seen some of those movies. Sorry. I'll get around to it. I'm such a boy, aren't I? That's okay. Baseball's great. I love baseball. I love, so it makes sense that I watch these movies. Kevin Costner. So those two movies I've listed of Kevin Costner as part of the, Kevin Costner baseball trilogy. There's another movie that he did um, much later. It came out in, I think, the 2000s called, I think it's For the Love of the Game, mm. which I hadn't seen until a few years ago. And it's actually not that bad. Mm. Um, a lot of people aren't fans of Kevin Costner. I'm not a huge Kevin Costner fan, um, primarily because of he. why would you make Waterworld or The Postman? But Because um, Hollywood paid him too. Yeah, yeah. He had to. He had to really kind of bank on that. I mean, I'll I'll never bash Dances with Wolves. That's, that's we saw that's, that in the theater. I did see that in the theater. It's we did movie. together. We did. I don't remember you being there. I was there. You were. Mm-hmm. Our cousin was there too. Oh, okay. So anyway, and so I just have one more point I want to make about this movie, which is less about baseball, but hopefully we'll segue into our next movie. Is women in this movie? Are portrayed very badly. Yes. I just want to say that you've got serial killer woman, you've got succubus woman. <laughs> um, Glenn Close playing Iris. She's she is probably the only positive female character in this movie. But overall, there's like three women in this yeah. movie that are main characters, and um, two to one. I mean, that's yeah. not that's not that's not really positive. Yeah. But just wanted to make that make that perfectly clear that. It's definitely kind of a guy movie in that sense. Mm-hmm. But a movie that's not really a guy movie, oh my God, is Nancy's movie. <laughs> definitely not a guy movie. Well, my movie, um, <laughs> my movie has a couple things in common with some other movies we've already talked about. First off, commonalities with The Natural is it's set in New York, mm-hmm. which I like a lot. But ironically, When Harry Met Sally is my second Rob Reiner film in a row because Princess Bride last week was also a Rob Reiner film and my second feature with uh, Billy Crystal, which is just unusual because... In a row. In a row, too, no less. In a row. <laughs> um, so When Harry Met Sally is my favorite romantic movie, hands down, period. I just love it so much. It's... You know, this hour and a half movie of a, you know, missed connections kind of romance where this pair, you know, Harry and Sally, they ride together from Chicago to New York when they graduate college in the late 70s, um, played by Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan. And they just rub each other the wrong way. I mean, he is so good at baiting her. You know, they'll start talking about something and she doesn't want to answer. And he goes, fine, don't tell me. And then she's like, well, if you must know, you know, and he just totally knows how to get under her skin. And he's met, he's known her all of a few hours. Like he's just got her figured out so quickly. And, you know, they're, they're a classic kind of opposites attract in the sense that, you know, she's a very kind of upbeat, positive person. She doesn't, you know, she feels like, you know, her whole life is ahead of her. You know, she's going to New York to become a journalist. Whereas Billy Crystal's character is very dark, very cynical, very grouchy. You know, he prides himself on that he, you know, that he thinks about death all the time. And she's like, yeah, you're going to ruin your whole life thinking about it. Um, But he thinks he's super deep because, you know, he's got this dark side or whatever. On their long, long 18-hour drive to New York, they try to have conversation to pass the time, but things pop up and they don't get along. You know, they don't, I mean, they're making it work, but, you know, he's, you know, being typical guy. I mean, and I'm not going to call him a typical guy. I'm just going to say the perception of what a typical guy would be, where, you know, 
he makes a pass at her, and when she turns him down, he then analyzes that, well, you know, we can't be friends. You know, men and women can't be friends. Like, I feel that the the conversation about male and female relationships has never been discussed more than in this movie. You know, he opens up this conversation, you know, well, of course we can't have friends because... I find you attractive and the sex part's going to always be in the way. And she's like, what are you talking about? I don't want to have sex with you. He goes, doesn't matter. I put it out there. It's going to always be there. We can't be friends. And she's like, fine, whatever. We're not friends. You're the only person I was going to know in New York, but say la vie. So drops him off at the famous arch in New York city. He goes his way. She drives off five years later. They bump into each other at the airport. Oh, another movie with time jump. Exactly. Running to at the airport, ironically, he knows her boyfriend who's dropped her off, and they start chit-chatting a little bit, and then they're seated right near each other on the plane, so they have another conversation on the plane and reveal, like, you know, she's just gotten into this relationship. He's revealed that he's going to get married soon, and she's shocked, and she's like, wow, that's so optimistic of you. You're getting married. Wow. He's like, well, you know, I fell mad in love. You know, what can you do? But again, you know, still a little tension, whatnot. And when they get off the plane, they're on the little people mover together. And he's like, oh, you want to, like, have dinner? Are you staying over? And she's like, you know what? I don't think so. And he's like, really? She's like, I thought you said men and women can't be friends. And he goes, I never said that. Oh, wait, wait. Yeah, I did. And then he's like, oh, wait. But then there's this caveat. And he just, like, makes it super complicated. And she's just like, I'm over this dude. Like, this guy makes me crazy. So... They go their separate ways. Five more years later, Sally's just broken up with her long-term boyfriend. Same the, guy. The same guy. The yeah. same guy, Joe. And Harry is getting divorced. You know, it's been five, six, five years later, and he's getting divorced. And then we get to see more people than just Harry and Sally at this point. My favorite Carrie Fisher role, I know you love her as Princess Leia, but I love her as Marie in this movie. Well, I love her as Marie in this movie because it's the only thing that makes this movie tolerable. <laughs> Fine. Um, she, she, she's Sally's best friend. And then they have this other friend named Alice and, you know, they're all having lunch and Carrie, Carrie Fisher's character is really the only, like the main female confidant we see Sally with through the rest of the movie. And she's hilarious. She's, been dating this married guy and she always says you won't believe what i found and all the friends are like yeah we know she he's never gonna leave his wife so she's kind of stuck in this her own loop of dating someone that will never be available to her and you know sally is trying to bounce back you know with a lot of maturity and a lot of optimism from this relationship with joe he you know couldn't he didn't want to move forward with a marriage so they broke up and then of course uh, Harry's marriage fell apart and much sadder for much sadder reasons uh Mr. Zero came over <laughs> to the moving man <laughs> came over and moved all the stuff out and knew that he was getting divorced before he found out one so. of my one of my favorite lines <laughs> in this movie is something like um He's got a shirt that says, don't fuck with Mr. Zero. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the moving guy has a shirt. Don't fuck with Mr. Zero. So Harry's friend is played by Bruno Kirby, and he's wonderful. Jess is a really great, you know, foil for him, too. The only really good part about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so Harry and Sally, they connect again, and they actually get along this time. They're both kind of talking about where things have gone for them, you know, where their lives have both gone, relationships, you know, where, you know, where they've, how they've gotten where they are. And, you know, they still kind of have different approaches to things, but they're really finally getting to a place where they can get to know each other and be friends. This friendship, it's, it's a really nice evolution of what their friendship is like. And at some point, they both try to start dating other people and um, there's conversations about, you know, how quickly do you um, sleep with new people versus just dating them. And, you know, Harry's on this one track where it's just a no brainer. Duh. I bought this lady dinner. Of course, I'm going to go to bed with her. And this is something completely like it's like speaking a foreign language to Sally. She doesn't understand like how he can jump to bed so quickly with someone. And 
so it's just like this really interesting kind of debate and conversation, even again, as they're building their friendships and just kind of sorting out how they view relationships in different ways. And, um, at one point they think, oh, you know, it'd be really great if, um, our friends, Marie and Jess, if we introduce all four of us together and maybe Sally and Jess can start dating and then Marie and Harry can start dating. Cause then all of us will still be friends and blah, blah, blah. And of course there's like zero chemistry between what they assumed was going to be the pairing and Jess and Marie end up getting together, which is amazing. In fact, the dinner it was like the most awkward, one of the most awkward dinners probably ever filmed when they're trying to make sure, you know, see can um, Harry and Marie have any kind of spark whatsoever and can Jess and Sally have any kind of spark. And the way that Harry and Sally are being like wingman and wingwoman for each other to really like try to boost boost the attractiveness for the other person and it's just failing miserably. And then all of a sudden... Marie quotes something that Jess had written in a magazine right to Jess. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. They're the pairing that's supposed to work. So they become this amazing couple and, you know, reminds Harry and Sally yet again, like, okay, we still haven't found our person. We still haven't found the person we're supposed to be with. Cause here we're trying to get people together and it's not working. And all the while they're blind to the fact that they should be together. But, you know, again, this, Friendship without any kind of bumps in the road goes on for, I think, about a year um, because it's they meet up originally in the fall. And then it's the following fall where Sally's character finds out that Joe, who she hasn't acted upset about at all, finds out he's going to get married to someone else and her world crumbles and then the inevitable Harry coming over and comforting her, which leads to them sleeping together finally, but then it ruins everything. And uh, Matt's shaking his head at me. He's so bored by this movie. <laughs> okay, the movie, the movie, I wasn't necessarily bored the whole time watching this movie because I've seen it a few times. I, Nancy watched it a lot. I, I watch it every New Year's, every year. <laughs> Nancy watched it a lot. Mm-hmm. And um you know, my I think my wife had seen it and I've watched it with my wife before, but she rewatched it with me and I sat down and, and you know, being married, I I understand how some of these things go and it's a lot more it is somewhat more tolerable now than it used to be. Um but I Seriously, if Carrie Fisher wasn't in this movie, she's so good in this movie. I mean, she's she's been good in everything I've ever seen her in, but she's so good in this movie. And it's not a major role, but, and I mean, she probably has maybe 15 minutes of screen time. She's so funny. And Well, she's really funny, and but it really was like that and the back and forth that Bruno Kirby would always have with either Harry or... Um, or with uh, Marie, Carrie Fisher's character. If it wasn't for for that, there's a scene where they try to have a like a dinner party thing, and they're all playing Pictionary. <laughs> if any of you remember what Pictionary yeah, is, that's right. Um, and Sally is drawing, and Bruno Kirby is just yelling out whatever. And at one point, um, she nails down like she's trying to. It's a. It's it's a phrase and it's two words and she draws a baby. So Mm -hmm. they know it's baby. And then she's just drawing all these lines. And at some point, Bruno Kirby starts going baby fish mouth, baby (laughs) fish mouth. (laughs) It's so funny. And, and the, the word she was trying to draw a baby talk. Yeah. And he's just like, how did you, that doesn't make any sense. What is baby talk? And this is the writer, the guy yeah. who writes for a magazine in New yeah. York, and he doesn't know what baby talk is. Anyway, baby fish mouth. That baby was, fish mouth. Yeah. Sweeping the nation. Those are things that I remembered from this movie that is supposed to have nothing really to do with those two but characters. No, but you know what, though? It does, though, because I think it's just to show the flavor of like what the different friendships are like in the movie. I mean, like, like I love the batting cage scene where they're talking about all the different... Mm-hmm. Thing like Harry is just explaining what his relationship to Sally is, and just can't understand. He's like, 
So do you find her attractive? Yeah. Do you enjoy spending time with her? Yeah. But you're not sleeping with her? No. Like, this is, it's just like, it's almost like solving a Rubik's Cube. Like, why haven't they gotten together? Why aren't these two people, who are clearly meant for each other, not together? Well, and, and they really portray Billy Crystal as kind of like a ladies' man, almost, in some ways, because of how his he's had relationships and he they, he's always kind of slept with them. But um, I don't know. It's Well, go ahead and finish talking about the movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean clear, like... Sally's like a very like a type a personality, you know, she's very high maintenance. She's, you know, she's very like, I want everything on the side. She's, you know, her orders are super complicated at a restaurant at restaurants, you know, you know, she's maybe kind of a little uptight, but again, she's also really positive. So it's like all that kind of smooths the edges of maybe her, the rigidness of her other parts of her personality. But again, you know, like some of the, some of the discussions that they have about, how they approach relationships differently. You know, I mean, one of the most famous scenes in all movies is when she fakes the orgasm at the deli. And yeah. then Rob Reiner's mother is Rob Reiner's mother who played the woman with the most iconic line in the entire film. I'll have what she's having. The, why does she fake an orgasm in the restaurant? Because she's trying to, re, she's trying to show him just how easy it would be how he could how he couldn't tell yeah you know he's so convinced that you know he knows women so well and that oh yeah they, none of them they all seem pretty fine with fine you know they seem to have a good time and you know she has to prove him wrong i mean they kind of have this needling relationship but again you know one of the best scenes ever in the movie it's just hilarious Sure it is. <laughs> well, after, you know, after... I'm not saying... I'm not making that comment because I would be on Harry's side of that conversation <laughs> at all. <laughs> it's more just like, I understand that it probably was never done on screen before. It's funny. Yeah. You know, it's probably funnier knowing that Rob Reiner's mom is the one that says it. And yes. that's been kind of very well known. Otherwise, yeah. it's, you know, whatever. Well, and Meg Ryan is just so sweet like for her it's it's not like she's a porn actress or something i mean she's just this really sweet girl next door kind of actress so for her to be in this situation to do that in a movie is also pretty funny man can you guys feel my eyes rolling can you? Yeah. Why are you? It's all right. <laughs> I'm just lost the, highway that's it, all it, i have to say i'm just lost highway i think i'm just so not I've never really been a huge fan of Meg Ryan. Mm. I mean, the the only movie that I really like tolerate her in is The Doors, where she's playing Pam. Pam, Jim Morrison's girlfriend. You don't like wife. her as Goose's wife in Top Gun? God, that's you such, didn't like that's her so in minimal. So min- oh god, Inner Space is not that great of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we watched it a ton as a kid, as kids, but man, that is hindsight. Not that, not a good movie. Yeah. Well, Harry Met Sally, like in traditional fairy tales or you know good good rom com formatting, ends with a happy ending. Mm-hmm. You know, they Harry finally realizes what a dummy he'd been, and that them hooking up meant a hell of a lot more than just the quick hookup that he was so used to. And, you know, rushes to her with the big grand gesture in the middle of New York on New Year's Eve and, you know, says, when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with someone, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible and the big kiss and then they get married. We don't see the wedding but we do see them sitting on the same little interview couch that that has been used by I think about like six or seven other couples throughout that's the one, movie. Well, so that is that's one of my like the most interesting things about this movie sadly is um the way that they break up the time jumps is um and even the beginning of the movie they have interviews with married couples mm-hmm. who are like older couples, elderly mm-hmm. couples who have been together, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, mm-hmm. 70 years. And, um, just talking about how they met mm-hmm. and, you know, telling little stories about mm-hmm. like when I met her, I didn't think she liked me and she thought I didn't like her, blah, 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 you know, mm-hmm. similar to what's going on in the movie. And, um, hearing those stories is really nice. And then at the end of the movie, 
you know, you have Harry and Sally sitting on the same mm-hmm. little couch as, you know, being interviewed. And it's a nice way to kind of tie up the whole movie. Yeah. So. No, I, I, again, because I think because this movie has such a holiday feel, especially like a New Year's Eve feel, I've watched this movie on New Year's Eve or right around New Year's, I think for at least 10, 15 years in a row. It's just part of my, part of my routine. Um, I've, Loved it for a really long time. I forgot to give the spoiler, but there's a movie that both Matt and I recently saw that I feel has a very, very similar um, vibe to When Harry Met Sally, and that's um, Always Be My Maybe. It's a movie that came out for Netflix with um, Randall Park and Ali Wong, and it includes big gestures. It includes um, long-term friendships that have some distance and, you know, reuniting and rebuilding friendships. I mean, it's got a really similar vibe, in my opinion, um, to When Harry Met Sally. Well, and I think, yeah, it does. I think that that is just kind of like, if you were to have genres within a genre, Mm -hmm. you know, like they do with like sci-fi movies Mm -hmm. and whatnot, um, there's probably the like, um, the rom-com, like the rom-com subgenre of friends that don't hook up mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of, kind of yeah. vibe. I mean, they, they're very similar. I mean, there's so many different ways to do a rom-com. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, de- I mean, if you were to categorize this, this is, you would categorize this as a romantic oh, yeah. comedy, it's right? Absolutely. I mean, it, I mean, they're, I, I guess parts of it are funny, but <laughs> a lot of it's funny. Billy it definitely has, it, it definitely has its romance. A lot of it's everything. very deadpan. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, I'm, I don't, I don't hate Billy Crystal. I think Billy Crystal has done a lot of great, you know, comedic performances and he's very talented and he's not someone that you actually really see anymore no, you know, in, not so in anything in, you know, but yeah. I'm sorry you didn't enjoy it as much as I do. I mean, I don't expect anyone to enjoy it as much as I do. Well, I'm but glad that you like this movie. It's it, it's right up your alley. I think. I mean, it's very light. It's in mm-hmm. like like with all the like crazy action, tense horror, whatever kind of movies that are out now, where people are obsessing about watching like a movie where everyone has to be blindfolded so they don't see the monster and it's all really tense. Yeah. Um, it's, it's nice to be able to put on a movie like this mm-hmm. where you can just kind of have it on and just relax and yeah. la- occasionally laugh. For me, I'm just not a huge fan of Meg Ryan. Just. She's not your thing. She's just not my thing. Sorry. And that's fine. But I will at some point make you watch You've Got Mail. <sighs> Maybe not. I've seen once, I think I saw Sleep is in Seattle. And uh, my wife watched um, You've Got Mail. And You've Got Mail is a remake of another movie that I'd probably, maybe I'd watch that one. I don't know. I love You've Got Mail a lot, too. Yeah, I'm so glad. See, I'm so glad you made me watch When Harry Met Sally. So all three out. of those movies have someone in very important in common, and that's Nora Ephron. So Nora Ephron wrote When Harry Met Sally, and it was really one of like the first big kind of. It was like the first of this genre that she broke into, mm. and um, I love Nora Ephron and a lot of the, the films that she's done. So she and Rob if you, Reiner. If you were to recommend a Nora Ephron movie to me, what would it be? If you're not so into the romantic comedy genre, I would say Julia and Julia with oh, Meryl that, Streep. I really, I, I, I do like that movie. Yeah, that is. I mean, I really like Amy Adams, and I really like Meryl Streep. Me too. And it's Julia. It's about Julia Child and cooking and all that. And those are th- things that are fun to watch mm-hmm. for me. And um, yeah, I I really like that movie. So I I can't really hate on Nora Ephron and her rom com. I think that this turned out pretty good. And and you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to just totally crap on uh when Harry met Sally. If you are like I said, it's it's a nice lighthearted kind of movie to watch. And if you are a if you are a romantic, it is definitely a a a fun kind of movie to watch. I want to thank everyone for listening. I'm sorry I went on so much about baseball. <laughs> Speaking of baseball, 
there was another movie. I did not put it in that five that I had listed, only because I've only seen it once or twice. Um, Let me see if I can read your mind. Sandlot. No. Oh. Sandlot is great, but um, it for something about it doesn't stand out to me. No, I was going to mention Eight Men Out, which is a a, a it's really intense to watch mm. because it's very dramatic and it's about the Black Sox scandal. And it stars a really great actor that we know that we love that we'd love to know. His name is John Cusack. <laughs> and um, if anyone out there, again, has any kind of way of contacting John so he can call Joan and get the two of them, you know, hooked up with us so we can talk about movies together, that would be great. Follow us on on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those fun places. Maybe share our link with with John or Joan. <laughs> Maybe we can get them around the table so we can have a discussion. Maybe we can talk about the rom coms that John Cusack's been. In. He's been he's been in some great ones. Yeah, he's been in some great ones, and uh, and Joan has been in a lot of them with him. Been in a lot of them with him, and one of my favorites. Like, you know, I would say. I I put Working Girl almost in the rom com. Oh, Working Girl's a rom com. It's a rom com. Yep. That's that's a great movie. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. We're sorry for our, for the long period of time between our last one and this one. We're over it though. We're gonna get back on track. We're gonna get on track. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. 